Hello and welcome to the Chip Away podcast. My name's Adam and I talk with passionate construction professionals and try to chip away at what it is to build, create and shape the landscape we live in. Today on the show is Simon Ogden. Simon is an artist residing here in Christchurch, New Zealand, who works in mixed media and draws on materials that are used in the construction industry to create a wide range of pieces. I think you're in for a bit of a treat with this one. It was really interesting to hear an artist's take on creating and the relationship that he has with that process. I feel that what Simon has to say has a lot of parallels to the craftsmanship of construction and how valuable those skills and activities can be for our own sense of self and understanding our impact on the world. A quote from Simon to set the tone, and that is that boredom is a state of mind. Simon, thanks for coming on the Chip Away podcast. <laughs> I appreciate your time. Um, can we get a bit of background on yourself and what you do? Sure. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Adam. Uh, well, of course, you're sitting in my studio, which you had a little bit to do with at the time, because uh, we needed you uh, to lift the walls up when we constructed it. So uh, Adam and I are sitting in my studio, which is 30 squares, and uh, it's full of stuff. Uh, I'm an artist. I work in mixed media. Um, I arrived uh, in New Ze- to New Zealand in 1983 initially on an archaeological dig. Did a bit of teaching while I was here, went back to London where I was a road sweeper again and um, I was sweeping, doing the six o'clock in the morning shift on the Strand in the middle of winter and uh, very cold, dark uh, and underpaid. Um, I kind of quite liked it though. Uh, and then I received a letter inviting me to come back to New Zealand to teach full time, which I did in 1984 and I taught at the University of Canterbury until about five years ago. So uh, I'm an artist, I'm a teacher, and um, and I live in Christchurch, Addington, in an old cottage, which I have done up slowly with Malcolm, Adam's father, uh, which has been a fabulous experience Mm. and is an ongoing ongoing activity. Malcolm's coming back to have a look at the kitchen shortly. Oh, right, great. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool little house, definitely. It has a lot of character to it, and I can... From your, from what I know about you, it kind of suits you pretty well. I feel. Yeah, yeah. no, and it's interesting, you know. I mean, there are lots and lots of faults with this house. Like, uh, it's not, uh, it's not a new building. Uh, it's been well renovated, but not a lot of money has been spent on it. So it's a kind of makeshift job in a way. But people who come to the house always feel incredibly comfortable because it has a soul to it. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that, um, especially in regards to your art. You know, when I walk into your house and all of your spaces, it has that kind of lived-in <clears throat> feel. And yep. you, it doesn't... I build quite a lot of newer houses that, of course, I don't get to see them when they're lived in, but once you build them and everything's painted white and it's very clean and crisp and kind of too... Perfect, almost. Yeah. I much prefer walking in a house like yours where 
you've got art on the wall and there's funky bits of furniture everywhere and it, it represents the people living inside of it. Yeah. Now, space is a nest is important. Yeah. The space, of course, you spend so much time doing that. Uh, it's, it's actually interesting. My son, Chester, has just rented an echo house and mm. it has a, a, a steep pitch roof upstairs and he can't sleep in it. Because, right. um, what's that? Is it Sheng Hu? What's it? Ah, Sheng Shui. Sheng Shui. Yeah, yeah it, right. needs, it's, it just has a, a strange energy sure. to the place, which is effectively sleeping. Wow. Very interesting. Wow. That is interesting. Yeah. I wonder, especially in your house, you're an artist, you have a lot of art on the wall. Yeah. Do you feel that a house is there without art on its walls? or uh, That's an interesting question. I sometimes lust after bareness mm. uh, because there is so much stuff here. Uh, I get irritated by um, by the dust, you know, you have yes. works everywhere, so dust and spiders hide and all that kind of thing. Excuse me, guys who listen to this, the house is not full of cobwebs, etc., etc. I'm just trying to explain what it's like when you have a lot of objects in the house. Um, minimalism. You know, when mm. I'm making a work, um, there's a point where there's very, very little in the work. Uh, and I think, boy, that's interesting. There's a great tension here, and it's working, and it's saying something, and I should leave it alone. Mm. And I never do, you know? Yeah. I hardly ever do. I have done before, but mainly I just keep thinking, well, yes, but I could add a bit here. And then you add a bit and you go, ooh, now I need a bit there. And then eventually it's a world of bits, mm. you know, mm. that has a kind of wholeness to it, but on the other hand is busy. And yeah. um, so I live in a very busy world in my head, in mm-hmm. my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to be in a minimal, beautiful minimal space sometimes is is quite nice. Yeah. Though when nice. I do go, I teach in Auckland. I stay with friends there. They have a, a very nice house, which is very minimal. And if I'm there for 10 days and I come back or I've been away traveling, um, I kind of think, yes, it's beautiful. It's just right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. So uh, your art um, utilizes construction products in in some of what you do anyway and particularly from my experience in talking to you is um, the use of linoleum and I wonder how you came across that product and maybe even if you could just describe exactly what it is you're using a lot of people these days we don't use linoleum at least the stuff that you're using anymore in construction really well you can't get it no so well you can get it but it's very difficult to get hold of Mm. Uh, there's a big difference between vinyl and linoleum. Most people will see linoleum and say it's vinyl or have vinyl and say it's linoleum. Mm-hmm. Vinyl is a petroleum-based product. Linoleum is uh, linseed oil, cork dust, um, hessian and various other sort of organic products um, that was made... I, uh, the first linoleum would have been around 1875, 1880, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and William Morris was one of those first, uh, one of the first people to design linoleum. William Morris, that's in the Arts and Crafts movement in the UK, the designer. You'll know his wallpaper, a lot of you. Mm. Uh, so he did linoleum. Uh, but, and linoleum ceased to be produced somewhere in the 19 mid-1960s, 1970 probably, um, just after the sort of retro period. 
Uh, linoleum's made in Scotland, or was made in Scotland, in Lancaster, in Holland, and in the States. And it came as different names, linoleum, conglolium, uh, it was all trademark names. So I use linoleum, and I beg, steal, and borrow it. Um, well, not borrow it, beg, steal, and take it. Home. It's beg, steal, and pay for it uh, on occasions. Uh, it's difficult to get hold of because most people rip it up, they find it under carpets, and they take it to the dump. Mm. So I use the material in, an al- in, a, in a way that's alchemistic. Uh, what most people will see as rubbish, I attempt to check. Well, I do change its nature, and I hope uh, that I make works that people consider to be beautiful and, um, and what have you, and have them with a history. Uh, now, the question, question. Um, so yes, I use building materials. If you think about linoleum as something found in demolition sites on building sites, mm-hmm. um, I use uh, plywood materials like plywood and timber for the structures to hold these images, and I make those myself. Generally, um, when I have a workshop, a fully function workshop. Uh, there's nothing more that I enjoy than going in and actually uh, working in an organised and clean atmosphere with tools. Um, so the tools, you know, and I'm very familiar with with, with um, large woodworking machinery. Um, that's one side of the process. The other side, of course, is making the works. And my tools there are a Stanley knife, uh, a steel ruler, um, forms to draw around and uh, and a pencil and a hot plate mm. so it's as simple as that mm-hmm. and glue pva glue and clamps mm. okay so i mean i wonder was can you think back to when you first thought oh i can use that linoleum yeah i mean also and how you use it in a quite a specific way okay. and so yep i can um when i uh, uh, I was a student in, in the UK, in Birmingham, I studied sculpture, and I worked with timber, and I made uh, minimal geometric um, freestanding forms. Then I went to London, and I um, did a master's degree three years in painting, um, so I started to make pictures. When I came over here uh, in 84, my studio practice um, centred around making large hard-edged, very bright, abstract paintings on canvas. Um, I did this for 10 years, and um, and they got to a point where I felt there needed to be more substance in the work, for myself at least, because nobody was really engaging with it, was writing about it, uh, or talking to me about it. Um, so I, was, I felt like a little bit like an outsider, and I'd been doing some work for the council, for the banners for the city and um, and poster designs and, on, and and I had a wee t-shirt company at the time. So I was using images, a narrative in other words. Uh, so I applied for a residency in um, Australia in the bush outside Melbourne. And uh, the reason I applied for that was that I knew that if I went to Australia to make work, uh, the work would inevitably end up addressing the landscape because the landscape in Australia is so um, is so unusual and stunning. And we've done we've done two drives through Central Australia, so I wanted to actually uh, attempt to um, address the pictorial issues um, that um, 
that you that, that I felt uh, was what sig- was the signature of Australia, Australian bush. Mm. Um, I started. There were no materials, very few materials available on the residency. We were out in the bush, so the local hardware store sold ten plywood, and I had gouache paint. So I started painting plywood with gouache, and then in the studio, I put shapes out that reminded me of uh, elements in the bush, and I draw around them, and then cut that shape out of another piece of plywood and inlay them. They were like, they were jigsaws. Mm. And uh, I made a lot of works uh, with that process. But when I got back to New Zealand, it was impossible to get the the, the two millimetre plywood that you could cut with a Stanley knife. Mm. And we were on holiday as a family in the Coromandel and we were driving and uh, there was an old shed uh, in a paddock. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, photographically at least. I thought, I'll run over and take a look at the shed. And when I got there, there was this old linoleum um, uh, wrapped up uh, against itself and it was wet and smelly but it was I'd never really been aware of linoleum actually even though I would have lived with it as a child in the UK mm. uh, and I picked it up and shoved it in the back of the truck and brought it back to Christchurch and it sat in the studio for my office at the university for two years nearly and I just look at it thinking what can I do with that stuff and then I suddenly thought, ah, oh, there's two different patterns. What if I put that pattern into that pattern by inlaying it like I used to do with plywood? And so I made a work, a little nightingale, actually, um, from some linoleum found um, on, a, on a toilet floor under a lot of um, straw. <laughs> and so I turned that dirty, dirty lino into a little nightingale in the bush. And, mm. uh, and I've been making works with linoleum ever since and the narratives grown and grown mm. you know mm-hmm. but they're landscapes yeah sure yeah it's quite a it's quite unique at least um from my experience it's um taking something as kind of abstract and and uh like you say it just caught your eye and then you've developed it and, and made it your own almost. Well, it's kind of interesting because when I was a student in London, I remember being defended in a, uh, at the Royal College when I was a student there. Uh, and I was in a crit with uh, the six members of staff. And I remember being um, uh, having to defend the fact that my work was decorative mm. at the time. Um, uh, so I'm a, uh, I enjoy arts and crafts. I enjoy pattern. There's nothing wrong with pattern, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with beauty either. Mm. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with decoration. So as long as it's not just meaningless ornamentation. Um, and I wanted to deal with the New Zealand landscape, but the New Zealand landscape for me is so new and so powerful. It was, how do I address this? Do I make paintings of it, like the tops of cake tins, um, what do I do? And I spent a lot of time walking in the bush, like the Abel Tasman, which are beautiful. And you don't actually, you're in the landscape, but it's but it, you don't have a horizon, you don't have mountains, you're actually in an environment with sounds, birds most of the time. Mm. And it's interesting when you hear a bird, like, you know, this bird in the garden at the moment, it's, um, it's a bellbird. And you hear the bellbird, it's in the big tree. And you look for it and you can't see it, but you know it's there. And then every so often you'll find it and you'll think, ah, there it is. And you'll look away for a second and look back and you can't find it again. Mm. 
So the scenes that I make, the bush scenes of New Zealand, with these different, different patterned linoleums, I try to disguise um, the birds and the moths and the butterflies and the plants that are in there so they come and go. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I wanted to um, touch on how in art and maybe also tying it to construction and... Do you feel that you're not so much limiting yourself by sticking to something like linoleum, but um, it seems that a lot of creativity can come out of um, limiting yourself to a smaller amount of materials or at least in art, I mean, I'm no connoisseur really, but there's certainly movements within art where at times, different periods, they really concentrate on certain forms or certain mm. colours or, you know, futurism or romantic paintings or whatever, it changes. Yeah. And um, and I feel like in construction, it's similar in that we have to create things um, and we're quite limited with what we can do. Obviously, buildings have to be engineered, they have to stand up they are usually quite square and clean angles and and that kind of stuff so we're kind of limited into how much we can do with our tools um and i wonder if that is something that caters to creativity or not whether if you limit yourself to linoleum and you're trying to create images of the bush um you know, we're so diluted with so many things that we can choose from in this day and age or create. Um, do you find that by limiting yourself, you can concentrate more on what you're trying to do? Uh, it's an interesting question. And mm. there are lots of different sort of responses to that. Mm. Um, yes, I think, you know, to be, I mean, building and art making are both crafts. Yeah. Firstly, that unites and you can't be a build if you don't know how to use materials and you can't deal with engineering you can't deal with form in space uh, and if it doesn't stand up it's not going to work mm. but you can't be an artist unless you know how to use the materials um, mm. that you're using to put across an idea mm. or to make a body of work so that's a craft also mm. so you know there's a there's a very big there's a very strong relationship um, between the arts and the crafts, and I put building in the craft craft category. Not all the time. Mm. Uh, sure. Some of the time, it's archaic and it's it's really awful, you yeah. know. But good building needs good craftsmanship. Craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of tools, um, I think it's exciting that you that that um, new tools come along that you have that, with the possibility of doing other things. I mean. You know, it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been uh, laser cutting, for instance, and routers mm. uh, haven't been around that long. Um, there was something kind of interesting about having to use a jigsaw or use a hand router. Um, it took longer, uh, but it was kind of satisfying. Mm. But it didn't open up the kinds of possibilities that computers and large industrial routers yeah. and laser kitters do. So it's a matter of, I think, uh, operating between one and the other. 
uh, or both. You know, both the um, the perfection of a particular favoured hand tool, like your father, for instance, Adam. Mm. I have to say, when he's here building, will more than often use his hand saw to cut something he could use the drop saw for. Yeah. Or a circular saw for, mm. or a jigsaw. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that is because he was trained as a cabinet maker and mm. it's his tool mm. and it's part of his arm. Yes. And he likes the sound and the movement. Yes. Even though it's slower. Yeah. So that's about craft. That's about love of, for, love of materials, love of tools. Yes. You know? And I think if you're going to be a craftsperson or an artist, you have to engage and love the things that, uh, the simple things that you use to do whatever it is you do. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So uh, you're saying some building can be quite archaic if it's not well done. And I have to agree with you. I wonder what, um, what your view is on on architecture and design at the moment in in New Zealand here and um, your thoughts on some of the directions being taken in public and private architecture. Um, You're you're obviously quite well-travelled and um, if you go around the world, especially looking further back in time now, a lot of the world is kind of doing very similar things, but... If you go to somewhere like Barcelona, there's very distinct architectural styles in a city like that. Or you go to Turkey or, you know, all around the world, China, Korea, wherever you are, they have their very own style. And I feel like, yes, New Zealand's quite a new country, but I I can't really think of anything where I I would see a building and I'd say, I know that's from New Zealand or I know that represents... New Zealand well you know personally speaking in in the new houses we build really the only kind of cliche feature of a new house that's being put up in really any subdivision or or most new houses is it's got to have a bit of cedar on it and that kind of represents it's become a trend at least anyway on a very kind of small scale um there's, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of nice buildings being put up in New Zealand, but I wonder what you think about whether New Zealand should be creating its own kind of style, again, with that limitation and, and using our landscape to inform what we do in our buildings. Yeah, it's um, well, it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, New Ze- I, mean I have travelled a lot, mm. and uh, as an example, in um, Bologna, for instance, uh, if you go to the paint shop in Bologna, mm-hmm. you, you've got an option really of two colours uh, yeah. for the exterior of the building because you either paint it ochre or you paint it that rich, beautiful red. Mm. Uh, and that's sort of the rules of the city. Mm-hmm. So it's not like if you go down to Resine here on the, the, the you know the edge of the, the, the end of the road yeah. and you go in and you think, boy, I want a red, and you have this endless choice and you think, oh, my God, you know, do yeah. I need all this choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the question to that is, no, you don't really, because Bologna is incredibly beautiful. It mm. just seems to work mm. as a colour palette. Um, there, is a, there is a sort of a, uh, a style in New Zealand. I guess it's a young country, but it would mm. be the batch, surely. I mean, yeah. you know, the early architecture has a real charm to it yes. and an economy to it. And they're well-built, Mm-hmm. And they're using good materials, um, organic materials, 
material sort of lasts the time, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and I think that um, that the kinds of developments, mass developments that are taking place in Christchurch, at least at the moment, uh, houses are built to last like a washing machine. Yeah, you know, and the materials are, are absolutely awful. Mm. I mean, there is nothing worse than MDF. I mean, don't get me wrong; I understand the strengths of MDF, mm. but it's not a nice material in any respect, except for the fact it doesn't bow like plywood. Mm. You know, mm. um, there is there is some interesting architecture in New Zealand, some very interesting architecture, and there's a really interesting drive in New Zealand, as in a few of the places in the world to live in smaller spaces yes. instead of showing off with the big space. So you go to some of the housing developments around, again, around Christchurch, and you go in through the entrance to one of these large developments, and you'll see the big house, and then you'll see the smaller house, and then you'll see the two-bedroom the two bedroom house, and then you'll see the... It's like a feudal system, mm. you know? It's like being back with the lord of the manor and then pecking down the order. And... <laughs> Why, I ask? I mean, it's a status symbol, mm-hmm. you know? Um, small spaces, if they're used properly, are very sensible. Yes. You know? Uh, in all sorts of ways. So I think New Zealand is in a position, actually, as a, as a small population, to address those issues seriously. Make smaller houses. Make houses that are eco-friendly. Um, use materials that are innovative, but organic, natural. Locally sourced, kind of. Yeah, locally sourced, although not always locally sourced, you know. Um, There's a great tradition in Scandinavia, building tradition in Scandinavia. You go to Scandinavia, Norway, you know. Mm -hmm. Timber is the main, you know, is the main um, material over there. Mm -hmm. And the colours are beautiful. And uh, there's a sort of resonance of harmony Mm -hmm. about, you know, uh, about the environment. Yeah, yeah. Which you don't get here in the cities. There's no. some appalling, appalling, appalling construction going on. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right about the small spaces. And certainly one thing that's caught on is that kind of tiny house movement in New Zealand. I think it's quite popular. And like we were just discussing earlier, they've only just changed the building code so that we can build 30 square metres without having a consent now. So I wonder if that can lead towards what you're saying in, in smaller spaces and, and absolutely yeah i'd say so yeah. um you know uh yeah the restrictions on building up until now have been you know fairly daunting mm-hmm. yeah no, sorry. yeah you know cost wise yeah. i mean i have a friend who's building a studio of the same size as this right and he's been going through the consent process over the last eight months mm-hmm. and it's how he makes you know it's his living yeah he needs a studio and um, poor old Sam, you know, I don't know how much he's spent on trying to get his consent. I hope he'll get a brief. Actually, oh, well, we'll go into that later. But, yeah. uh, you know, he, um, he prior and, until the other day, um, I mean, now, after the other day, he, he would be able to um, build build without any, um, without any restrictions yeah. of that size. Yeah, it's a funny move because they're so... At one point, they were so against anyone who wanted to do something like that, especially mm. the tiny house movement, because it was sort of living for for very 
cheaply at least as far as rates and what you have to right. do and people yeah, being able to dodge that whole thing yeah, yeah. Um, and now they kind of seem to be pulling the trigger on that in the opposite direction so it's interesting but um, yeah I like what you say about smaller spaces I think New Zealand's in a pretty well placed to um, we haven't went too far down any rabbit holes not to kind of um, make a movement like that become something bigger so, right yeah I mean am I allowed to ask you a question yeah sure I mean do you like building small houses? I do. I prefer... What interests I, you about it? Well, right now I'm building a house out in Amberley, um, and it's 112 square metres. It's only two bedrooms. Um, and, yeah, I really like I really like small spaces. Um, like you said, I just think there's no, there's no need to, to build overly big houses. I think... Maybe not so much here, but I know in America in the last, I think, decade, their average house size has almost doubled and you just, you don't need that. And I think New Zealand's kind of going that way as well. You know, there's mm. there's a lot of, I think there's still that attitude where if I don't build a big four-bedroom house, no one's going to want to buy it off me one day. Mm. Um, and I think that holds a lot of people back. They don't think about building a space for themselves and not, overly focused on, oh, well, I have to make it feasible for someone else to move mm. straight in mm. here one day. Mm. You know, when I look around your house, you're very much made it your own place, and mm. I can't imagine you're thinking about the next guy all that much because it's your space, you mm. know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I like I like small houses. It's You have to be more creative with the space that you have. Um, I live in a very small house. It's about, 100, again, about 110 square metres. I have two kids and my wife and we have more than enough space yeah um and yeah i think we could get lost in a bigger house really um you just find more stuff to put in it probably mm-hmm. um but yeah i like building that smaller house and i definitely like there's things that we can do especially in new zealand to make the most of our climate and in terms of building houses with a passive mindset, uh, energy-wise at least. Um, You know, we have a lot of sun hours in New Zealand compared to a lot of other places, and a simple change in orientation Mm. of a house um, instead of uh, the new subdivisions and everyone's pointing at the road and um, you have to have a gable and you have to have a garage this way and... um, it's like all you have to do is, is shift it a little bit and and make most of the sun and have hard hard surfaces mm. to you know uh, hold the heat in all day and big windows and stuff like that. I feel like that could be done relatively without breaking the bank. You know. Yeah, no, um, no, but I mean it's interesting. I mean, even a garage in New Zealand is a, is a sort of a. <laughs> Is is an asset. You know, you want a garage mm. knowledge. You want a garage. You want it to have the internal access, and you don't want it to be single. You want it to be double or or, or bigger than double. You know. Yes. Um, it, so it's a kind of American thing from the nineteen fifties when Ford first made the, the you know when cars started uh, shooting around everywhere. Yeah. Um, I've never had a garage. No, you know, right. I mean, I've got a driveway, yeah. and you can put a carport over. Mm-hmm. And is it that difficult to get to a garage or a carport if it's not active? There isn't a tunnel, an internal tunnel from the actual house to it. I don't think so. No. I mean, the people 
got to the point where they can't walk outside the door and round the corner. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I don't agree with outside loose. Don't get me wrong. Right. You know, it's good yeah. to have those inside. Sure. But, you know, even something as simple as a garage becomes an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, going back to what you were saying about the batch being a quintessential sort of um, New Zealand um, staple, at least architecturally or our own kind of style, I think there's a similar thought about not so much a garage, but at least from my speaking, I don't have a garage, but I'd love to have a workshop or a space like what we're sitting in now where you can get in and you can tinker around and you can make things or the man cave or the shed. Yeah. Uh, I, I love New Zealand sheds. I think they're brilliant. But yeah, maybe do we need a garage and are sheds viable in a city environment like this? I'm not so sure. But Well, um, I would have thought a workspace like the studio, for instance. I mean, this yeah. could be a garage. Yeah. Um, I much prefer to studio than a garage. So, yeah. you know, yeah. a garage is to hold a car. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, I'm wondering, how do you think people in the construction industry can have a deeper connection to the work that they do? Um, as an artist, you obviously put a lot of hours and energy into your creations, um, and I feel that we do that in construction as well. You know, when I look around the room here, I'm not... Um, artistically minded certainly anywhere near as you but I, when I look at it I can appreciate your work because I can see the hours that went into it mm. um, and I feel like in construction it's the same thing when you look at a house you know I've built houses where I've been building that house almost you know five days a week for 18 months and it's I've put in say 3,000 hours into building a house it's a big investment and you can get quite connected to your work mm. and it's hard to walk away at least mm. it is for me mm. um so i wonder how can you kind of if you could speak on your own connection to your own work and and how you kind of keep motivating yourself to keep doing it really uh the connection between okay connections uh, as a comparison between, say, myself and and a builder, mm. um, and and there are connections. So when I'm over the hot plate, cutting shapes out that I've drawn around um, for four hours, five hours a day, six days a week, when I'm making a large work, it's hard work. I'm leaning over. It's hot. I've got a knife. I'm looking. I'm very precise because I've done it a lot, mm. but I still have to concentrate. I go into kind of auto pilot, but I'm concentrating. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't want to be interrupted by anybody. Yeah. I'm deeply into what it is that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And it's a job. In the same way as a builder, I guess, with a, with a screwdriver and uh, on the roof, for instance, with the, uh, with the, you know, with the driver and the, uh, the roof. Uh, nails, screws, going from one point to another that's already been drilled. You mm. have to be careful, you've got to balance, you've got to, uh, you're screwing into awkward positions, but you handle your uh, power driver very well. It's part, it's part of your body, you've used it every day. So mm. the similarities are very strong yes. when you uh, compare those. In terms of creativity, that's, an, that's another thing entirely. Mm. Um, 
a builder will get, and I know this, having you know worked around builders like your father again, mm-hmm. gets a great deal of satisfaction from putting something together. Yes. Designing something is something that most builders don't really get the opportunity to do no. often enough, you know? Little things like, mm. oh, I think we should maybe, mm, not sure about that material, let's talk and find another material or let's hide those screws or let's these barn doors, let's cut them in half so that they swing open in different ways, yeah. you know? There's small things you can do as a builder, but largely you're restricted by the job you have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we want this and you do it. Yeah. Uh, if you're a builder that's designing, mm. like, you know, um, either um, drafting or, or designing architecturally, then it's a completely different ballgame. Yeah. So... There's a wonderful, wonderful documentary on, um, I can never, uh, who designed the Guggenheim in Bilbao? Okay, America. yeah, right, yeah. What's his name? Can you remember his I name? can't, but I know the building. Oh, yeah, I know just, the building, yeah. His name never comes to me. <laughs> Come in a minute. Yeah. Uh, anybody who's listened to this, architect who designed the Guggenheim in Bilbao, mm-hmm. he's most famous, or, or, the, or the Disney um, orchestral building in LA. Mm-hmm. Um there's a documentary on him and his studio, and his studio is vast, mm. um, and his relationship with the buildings. Mm. And it's very beautiful, right. really beautiful. Yeah. There's a last scene in that where he's visiting an exceptionally strange building that he's constructed in Miami, I think, from memory, or maybe it's in Germany. Actually, I can't remember where it is. Hmm. And he says, he's an old guy, and he says, this is the first time I've seen this in so many years. It's finished. I'll probably never see it again. And he's walking down with his fingers trailing across the surface of the building like it's his child. Hmm. You know? Yeah. So I think that scene really sort of answers that question in terms of the connection to buildings and uh, how creative it can be. Definitely. Yeah. I just think builders should be given more opportunity to um, explore themselves when they're working. And when you're making pre-kit horrible boxes for people to live in, it's very difficult to do that. Yeah. So that goes back to the question of what sh- how should New Zealand develop as a as a as a um, as a as an architectural paradigm, you know? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Make it more interesting for everybody. Yeah. I just want I'm I'm totally with you, but I just wonder how we do that. You know, there's a element of, of needs musts and a housing shortage and it's it's I just don't know how we keep alive that craftsmanship because right. like you say, there's a lot of industry types who are very much Assemblers, as as opposed to being craftsmen now. It's well, the way I think you should do it is, I think all builders should buy buildings that pre-exist, right, and then go in and change them mm. and do what they want to do with them. Mm. Mm. You know, this yeah. is what this architect did. He bought a uh, um, a fairly ordinary house in the burbs of uh, LA, mm-hmm. and um, there wasn't enough light when he was shaving, so he got a hammer. And he punched two big holes in the ceiling, <laughs> yeah, so that the light came in, yeah, um, which obviously became something else later. Mm-hmm. But it was that 
desperate need or that need to change the environment that he was in. Sure. And if you've got your own house, you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think that ties in a lot to um, the, I won't, I won't say we're quite losing a sense of what it is to be a craftsman just yet, but um, definitely a lot of builders coming through now are putting up those kind of pre-nail construction um, modular housing um you're kind of moving away from that and um and definitely if you get the chance to work in renovations and alterations as a builder you get to explore how the craftsmen of old built these buildings and you really have to use your um kind of intuition and 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 work on the spot and and like you say um architects are doing the designing but as a builder when you're in an old house you definitely have a bit more creative license because you have to come up with it you open up a wall and you never know what you're going to find or um yeah sometimes it's even in new construction the only time we really get that kind of license is where it's a, it's an age-old battle between architects and builders somewhat and um the architects will design something and say, do that, and we'll say, you can't do that. And so we have to challenge ourselves to figure out how we can do that, which is, I love that part of it. Okay, of so you, I, I, I really do recommend to anybody, by the way, the artist, uh, the architect's name is Frank Geary, of course. Mm. Um, have a look at Frank Geary because, um, I mean, he's able to do this, of course, but when he decides he's going to do something that's impossible and everybody says, no, you can't do that, yeah. um, he finds a way to do it, mm. you know? Mm. And he does. Yeah. And it, what's the docker? Right. Who's listening to Okay, this? great. Beautiful. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, so, again, on creativity, I wonder, um, you were saying before, when you're, when you're really into your work and you don't want to be disturbed and you're, you're in the zone, if you will, I wonder how, how you feel about it, perhaps not while you're doing it, but while you're reflecting on that, whether you yourself are creative and you yourself are, are making things happen or you're almost channeling something, if you know what I mean. Like there is creativity out there mm. and it's coming through you um, and into your project. And I wonder how much you feel is is yours and how much you're obviously we're inspired by things and that funnels into what we do so well it's you know being an artist is for me it's a job it's my job and like any job it has its um, delights and it can be painfully um, uh, annoying mm. you know mm. um, there are times I mean I I go in the studio at least five times a week, usually seven. Um, everybody leaves the house, so I, I go to work in the studio six metres away from the kitchen. I open the barn doors, turn the heating on at nine o'clock, 9.30, uh, read The Guardian, then come in and work, and I'll be in here for at least six hours mm -hmm. each of those days. Um, sometimes uh, uh, it's a trial. I think, oh, look, I just... I don't want to make work today. I don't want to. I don't feel creative. Mm. So I'll come in and look at what I'm 
what I've what I've done. Mm-hmm. You know, that I think it's eighty five words on the go at the moment. Yes. And um, and then I'll 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 look at a book. I'll read a book, or I'll or I'll or I'll go on the net and look at some art or distract myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll go, I'll say to myself, look, you've got to do something. So I'll start doing something. And, um, and then things seem to click in, you know? Mm-hmm. The creative side, the really creative side is kind of interesting because when you, you know, the old adage, of the, the, the most difficult thing about making a painting is starting it. So if you have a white rectangle and you have all your brushes and your paint, you think, what do I do? Yeah. You know, even yeah. after 35 years, you go, what What do I do now? Mm. What am I going to do? How mm. do I start this? Mm-hmm. And it's not until you put the first mark down or have the courage to put the first mark down, I have to say. Yes. Um, that the creative process really kicks in. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's both intellectual, the process is both intellectual and intuitive. Mm. Um, and this zone thing, when you're, you know, I mean, I often describe when I'm making a work, say a painting, uh, the, there are three stages of the painting. The first stage is starting it, and it's like a, it's like a, a child it's like a teenager it's saying don't do this to me and don't do that to me and i'm not working i'm not going to work for you you know it's not going to work <laughs> and, uh, and then the next stage is like um is a relationship mm. where you come to terms with each other and there are rules and regulations mm. you know so the work is going to go in a direction, sometimes suggest a direction, and I'm either going to go with it or pull it back and say no. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the very last um, stage of a painting, which is when a lot of people would say the painting's finished, don't mm. do any more, mm. is, can be a very, very long process. It could be months. It can be months and months and months. It can be on the wall, even years. Mm. And that's like having um, a lover. Mm. You know, it's mm. where you just touch and make little adjustments to sure. one thing or another. So you know the work really well and you're in total control. Mm. You know, and that's a very intellectual sort of and reflective place to be mm-hmm. at that point. So there are different levels of creativity. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Rub I know. the mill and then it's extremely sensual and, uh, or uh, intellectual. Sure. I wonder how, um, what your experiences in the small amount of art that I've dabbled with whenever I set out to do something I have an idea of what I'm trying to do and it turns out completely different by the time I'm at the end of it Um, whereas in construction it's very much you go into the design phase and you have your drawings and you know exactly what you're doing but in art, I wonder, do you have that relationship with what you're painting? Or, you know, like you say, it's, I'm sure it can be quite anxiety provoking when you see that clean slate and you think of all the possibilities. Um, but are you going into something with a solid idea of what you have in mind? Or? You know, again, interesting question. Uh, I'll talk about one work in particular that I made last year, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is 4.8 meter work by meter high. So, you know, quite a large work mm. in six panels. I mean, uh, filled the whole end wall of the studio. 
And when I started that work, I knew, firstly, I knew I wanted to make a long work. Mm -hmm. And I had to get the proportions right. So it was going to be nearly five metres long. It had to be at least a metre high for the proportion to work. So that was the initial, you know, that mm -hmm. was a, a given. Yeah. You know, I gave that thought and I thought, yes, it's got to be like that. It's got to be six panels in that case. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I had to um, decide which, well, I actually, I'd already decided that point which linoleum I was going to use as the base colour. Mm. And it was a tussock-coloured linoleum with mm. a faint pattern on it. Kind of felt slightly Russian constructivist. Kind of ugly in a way when I had it lying around. But once I got it out on the thing, I thought this is, you know, there's something really beautiful about this linoleum. It has a certain kind of quality. And I knew... Also, that what I was going to make was a landscape full of birds and moths and plants. Mm -hmm. In other words, it was going to be a garden. It was going to be a five-metre garden. Mm. Uh, and it was going to be tranquil, mm -hmm. but it was going to be quirky. Mm -hmm. um, so I was making that work. There were a thousand pieces in it. Um, and I'd drawn around all the pieces. This was February. I was working on this work for quite a number of months, about four months. I'd drawn around every single element, some the size, smaller than half the size of a fingernail and some of them big, you know. Right. And then systematically took each of those elements off and then slowly cut all those elements out of the base lino and then put the base lino back down, which I need to work, and then put all the little bits back in. Mm -hmm. Now I just finished in laying this work, not sticking it down, but in laying it when the mosque shootings happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which we could hear from here. It's across oh, the park. Gosh. And as everybody in Christchurch was hugely shocked and disturbed by this appalling atrocity, um, it hit a lot of people very hard. It hit me really hard. Mm. Uh, I couldn't understand it. I felt too close. Um, I knew the mosque anyway because I, you know, I go by it on a daily basis. And and I thought and I counted how many birds I put in the work. And the work at that point was didn't have a title, mm -hmm. but it was a tranquil sort of garden. So I counted the birds, and there were forty three birds. And there were 50 people dead mm. from the shooting at that particular point. Mm -hmm. So I cut out um, seven more birds mm -hmm. and then laid them into the work and places for them. Mm. So for me, that work became, started off just as linoleum and ended up being a cathartic yeah. um, piece of work. Mm. And the work was called, it was based on a particular kind of landscape. Tussock landscape, high country tussock landscape. Middle March in mm. in um, Centre Otago. So I called it Middle March Remembered because the shooting happened in the middle of March. Right. Yeah. Um, it was a memory of the landscape. Mm -hmm. um, and ironically, actually, uh, given COVID nineteen and the shutdown in March two. Oh, two, oh, mm. it's middle March remembered again. Yes. So that work has kind of taken on another life. True, true. Yes, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. Um, okay. Um, 
I wonder, one thing that I um, am trying to do with this podcast, I try and sneak it in there and I haven't really talked to you about it, but um, in the construction industry, we have a big problem with mental health um, and the stats for our industry uh, are not good um, and it's something that's quite close to my heart Um, and I wonder if you have anything to say on the creative process and perhaps what we do as construction professionals um, and how that can be um, like you say kind of cathartic to to yourself and and how it can be something that relaxes you and and keeps your mind busy I know that um with myself and I know that with um some people quite close to me who are who are in our industry um it can be uh an interesting way to detach from other things that are going on in our life and kind of throw ourselves into a creative work. Um, and I think that can have both positive and, and negative things. I know that in the construction industry, a lot of people will do that because perhaps other aspects of their life are somewhat out of control. And you know that if you can attack something like a building or your work or if you can make a table at home on a weekend or something like that, it's something that you can fix. It's something that you have more control over. Right. Um, and you kind of lose yourself in that. And I wonder if you have that similar relationship with your art where although the creative process is something maybe good can come out of it, mm. the process itself is um, it can have a lot of different inspiration, if you know what I mean. You can create out of anger or sadness or mm-hmm. yeah i just wonder if you have any kind of relationship like that with with your own well, you know create well i mean i can only speak personally of course sure. i mean people say uh the creative uh being creative is good for the soul mm. well, i mean it is good it's it's part of my it's i can't separate from my life you know it is what i am it's what i've always done yeah um but i you know Making the creative process for me allows me to be quite reflective, which is really uh, interesting. It's useful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, As an example, I mean, I made a work once. I was in another studio. I owned an industrial place uh, near Bunnings, and I had other people in the studio space. And I made a quite a large uh, bush scene of birds and various things in there, which I thought was was you know was a good work, was beautiful work. And um, and one of the other people came into the studio, and uh, in the morning, and I said, um, she'd, and she said, "What have you been doing?" And I said, oh, "I finished something last night." And she, and I said, "What? What's your feelings about it?" And she looked at it and she said, "You know, that's a really sad work." And um, and I thought, "Whoa, that's interesting," because it didn't look sad to me right. at all. You know, right? It was a bush scene. Yeah. I mean, so I I found that. Uh, quite a powerful statement, mm. you know. For whatever reason, she made it. Mm. You know, and I could never quite unpin what it was that she thought was sad about it. Okay. Um, so, if you know, if you use that as an example, then I guess um, it's 
for me, it's a channeling system for um, for for sounds naff, doesn't it? Um, for my being, mm. you know, it's who I am, absolutely, you know. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, the work um, changes, shifts, and changes. Sometimes it can be quite melancholic. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it can be quite punchy and. Uh, in your face, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's meditative, absolutely. At the very least. Yeah, and meditation, but that kind is is pretty good. Yeah, I think so. I think you get something similar with building. I mean, um, perhaps uh, you could be um, kind of um, negative about that and just say, well, it's repetitive, so therefore it's meditative. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like you've done it so many times, you kind of go off into um, another world and you're not really thinking of anything you're just kind of a machine who's 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 doing things mm. but um, I personally I find that creating something building something when I'm really in the zone I would say is um, that's a that's wonderful mm. that's a great experience I love it yeah you, you, there's nothing else happening except you and your work and um, I find that really powerful. Yeah. You know, it is powerful. I think there's there's <laughs> beauty and interest in everything mm-hmm. in in the world. Um, I mean, I used to say to my students when they were bored that boredom is a state of mind. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I think it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting you say about that. How that lady looked at your work and said it was that's a really sad piece. You know, you obviously have. Um, a big connection with your art and um, I guess my question is do you feel like once you create something and, and push it out to the world are you happy with the idea that it's up for interpretation from anyone can look at it and, and take what they will from it is it hard to detach people's opinion of like you say she she looked at that piece as right. something that you hadn't even thought of while you were creating it yeah yeah is yeah, that well, interesting yeah to no, it's interesting yeah. when it goes out into the real world it's um it's left home and uh, and to be honest um the interpretation changes for me and i'm making it you yeah know? um so i'm yeah i'm i'd be thrilled if uh, as long as people are affected by it in some way sure you know they either hate it mm. or they have a problem with it or mm. whatever. Um, as long as there's a reaction, then that's fine. True. If there's no reaction, then I think, oh, okay. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, so yeah. Cool. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, I think we can pretty much wrap it up there. I wanted to give you a, a small opportunity to kind of plug your work and plug yourself. And I know you're on Instagram, and I'll leave that your profile and the notes of the show so people can view what work you have on there. But is there anywhere else where you would point people towards to view your work and, and keep up to date with what you're doing? Uh, well, I've got a website, which is uh, lowercase, simonogdenworks.com, which will take you straight to the website, and there's an archive of work there. Mm-hmm. Um, got a show in September in Wellington at the Bone Gallery. Okay. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and I have a studio in Christchurch. So um, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, get in touch with Adam. Um, or have a look at the website. There's a telephone number there. Give me a ring and pop in and have a cup of coffee. Correct. Okay. okay. 
Sounds good. Thanks yeah. for your time, Simon. I appreciate it. It's been enlightening. Thanks. Um, I hope everyone's listening has enjoyed it. Um, and maybe we can do another one of these one day and, and, yeah. and carry on the conversation. That'd be good. Thanks okay. very much. Cheers, mate. Cheers. All right. Thanks for listening, friends. If, like me, you enjoy conversations about the love of building and creating, then please consider subscribing to this show and leaving a review at wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio. We're out there. So um, if all else fails, you can head over to my Pinecast page and all the links are there. Simon was a fantastic guest and I really appreciated him letting us hear some insights into his creativity. Definitely go and check out Simon's work. Um, The best place you can find Simon is at www.simonogdenworks.com, all lowercase. And you can also follow him on Instagram at simonogdenartist where you can keep up to date with his projects and upcoming shows. I'll put a link to all of these uh, in the show notes of this episode, so you can follow him right there. I really encourage you to have a look at his work. He's a very talented man, and it was a pleasure and a treat to be in his studio and and spend some time with him and um, get to see what he's working on. So thanks heaps to Simon for coming on and thanks again to you for your time. You can follow me on Instagram at Chippaway Carpenter to keep up to date with what's happening on the podcast. And until the next one, keep chipping away.